Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in. It's David Summers and it's another studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. So now we step back into the ring, back into time. Let's get wall to wall, treetop tall with the Tennessee stud. Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. All right, Ron, so you guys got like a dusting of snow in the last few days. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, it's a, it's getting that time of year, getting a little cool at night. And, yeah, the, we, actually, it's the second second little snow we've had. Um, but, obviously, it's a little higher into the Smokies, a little higher altitude. But this last one uh, covered the ground a little bit up here. I got some pictures of it, you know, I Somebody sent me some pictures of it, but, uh, wow, I might have to take a drive up there and see it for myself here, man, uh, next one that comes through. Oh, absolutely. That would, that would be, I think that's something I would want to do on a somewhat frequent basis, but now it's like living on the golf course. You don't always play golf, right? That's right. <laughs> hey, but that's cool. You're getting, uh, you got some, got some snow on top of old Smokey. All right. So Ron, looking at listeners responses in the last couple of studcasts, since you announced the sale of Southeastern Knoxville in 1979, fans are kind of all over, over the place with opinions about everything about this. Okay, so many of your present studcast fans remember that time frame. I'm one of those. And what happened to wrestling in that territory when you left? Well, you know, the Southeastern wrestling story, uh, Dave, is far from over at this point. Uh, it continued, obviously, down on the Gulf Coast with many of the same stars as the Tennessee Territory fans grew up with. And uh, when we did return to Tennessee, uh, it wasn't going to be until 1985, and it was going to be with a wrestler named Armstrong. And at this point, he's got three sons who at that point were all in the ring, and then they were involved in a feud with, of all families, the Fuller and the Golden family. So... uh, (laughs) A family feud that uh, that 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 family feud went on for years, kind of like the Hatfields and McCoys since I'm up here in this part of the country. So, uh, and when we all returned to Tennessee, it was with the same great wrestling, with uh, uh, you know, but it had new angles. We had new wrestlers, and we had some of the older stars that the fans had loved and appreciated for years when we went back. Okay, so I guess that's why you titled this studcast. This is number 322, by the way. You called it last Tennessee event for six years. So five years there building a territory, then six years gone before a triumphant return. When in 1979 did you actually leave Tennessee? Well, I was still living in Knoxville, and I was still wrestling on the uh, on the Jim Barnett's and, uh, and Fred Ward's uh, early cards once they took over the company. Uh, I was there basically till Thanksgiving night was the last time I wrestled in uh, 1979 in Knoxville. And, uh, and I was going to stay in Knoxville until mid-December for another couple of weeks. Uh, I was kind of making sure that the transition to the territory to the Georgia owners was going to be as smooth as possible. And to be honest, uh, leaving Tennessee, it really hurt me, man. I wasn't in any real hurry to, to get out of there, right? I had never been accepted by fans anywhere since I had been wrestling or felt more at home than in those beautiful mountains. 
Wow, that's cool. I think anyone who's ever been to the Smoky Mountains stud knows exactly what you mean. Speaking of smooth transitions, where are we riding today, sir? Well, in this stud test, uh, we're going to handle, uh, you know, the, the last card uh, and the TV. This is the last card that uh, I actually promoted there. We'll talk about the TV. And, uh, and uh, you know, uh, it will also... Uh, it's like all very personal for me at this point, you know. Uh, I'd been extremely difficult, to, hard to deal with, man. Uh, what had happened in the last six months, uh, it, it took a toll on me. And I'll describe the TV uh, that uh, promoted the last card, uh, the results of the card, and we'll talk about the attendance of the last one. And then I'll touch on lots of subjects that came, uh, came up between myself and the new owners. Uh, there were a lot of things... Uh, uh, that was going on. So uh, then we're going to ride south after that. We'll go into Pensacola and the Southeastern Territory, which will be the only Southeastern Territory at this point. We'll cover the Mobile, Alabama card there the night before Halloween, 1979. I'll discuss the TV that promoted it, the results of the card, and the attendances in all three of the major cities like we usually do. And then uh, we're going to talk about the talent and who was coming from the old Knoxville territory. And then we're going to touch on another situation, man, that had developed kind of quickly that was eerily similar to the Knoxville war. So a uh, lot going on. And I feel comfortable this time, uh, Dave. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe I shouldn't even say that, that we're going to get to a learning tree. <laughs> but, uh, I keep saying it. And, uh, you know, uh, we're, just, we're just doing so many things in these studcasts now. Uh, it's hard to get there. Yeah, eventually when you throw it out there, it, it'll stick one day. So hopefully today's that day. All right, so listen, Studcast have been so full lately. It's been a while since we did have the learning tree question, as you said. But everything really has been so interesting, filled with factual wrestling history. I don't think the fans have been too sorry about missing it. But listen, I always enjoy it. So they're, they've been hearing a weekly story that can be heard on no other wrestling podcast i think this is absolutely unique what's happening here so who was on that last not that's crazy saying that who was on that last knoxville card you were responsible for and i think the date is friday november 2nd 1979 yeah that's the date man and uh this card uh, was going to be a combination of some of the georgia wrestlers and uh, my remaining crew uh, some of those guys were already headed down to the south. The opening match on this card was Ted Allen against Gorgeous George Jr. He's going to be in the ring for a change. Jerry Roberts, who was a Gorgeous talent, uh, he was facing off against Norvell Austin. The Mongolian Stomper was going to meet uh, Redbeard, Doug Gilbert. Uh, then it was going to be a special tag uh, challenge match. Uh, Tony Charles and his partner, Pierre Lefevre, who uh, was a Georgia talent, who were going to be wrestling against David Schultz and Dennis Condry. Both of those guys were Georgia talents at that time. Uh, then, then there was an I Quit submission match uh, where the loser had to give up over the PA, the building's PA, so that everybody could hear him. And uh, not only did he have to give up, he also had to leave Tennessee. And uh, that match was Jimmy Golden against myself. And uh, then the last match was for the Southeastern Tag Championship. Dick Slater and Paul Orndorff had won the title about the three days, four days earlier in Johnson City, Tennessee, where the new tag champions, they were going to be defending against Ox Baker and the angel Frank Morrell. And uh, those two were going to be managed by Gorgeous George Jr. So all four of those wrestlers in the ring that night, they were the only ones uh, – that, hand, that Jim Barnett handpicked the week before. He told me, here's the guys I want that you have. And uh, so now they are, they are members of the Georgia crew, basically. Hmm. And uh, when I booked the card, I was making sure his incoming wrestlers were well represented. I felt that was really important because it's, it's, it's a transition from one company to another is uh, pretty difficult. Yeah, another six-card match as always. I counted eight wrestlers from your crew, eight from the Georgia crew. Was there any special reason that the two crews were split evenly? 
Uh, no, uh, there, there wasn't any special reason for it. I worked with Dick Slater on putting the card together. Uh, he and I, and he had been my booker for quite a while the, the, during 79. And, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we worked together on that card and, uh, we kind of took uh, into consideration Barnett and his crew. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, he would, he had been picked, uh, actually Jim Barnett not only took Slater as one of his guys, he kept Slater as the booker for him in, uh, in that Southeastern territory. So to me, and that to me was a great smart decision, you know, on Barnett's part. It was hard enough, man, to retain uh, continuity while switching talent between two territories, let, let alone changing your booker at the same time. So of these 16 wrestlers, the same eight that were on this card, the same eight I mentioned as part of Barnett's crew was going to be coming back the following week. There's eight of them are going to be coming again. And that's going to be next week is going to be Jim Barnett's first event there. And uh, there's going to be other wrestlers coming with him. And one of those new wrestlers is uh, going to be uh, very familiar to me anyway. Mm. Uh, it was the Hulk. And uh, B Barnett had renamed the Hulk Sterling Golden. <laughs> okay. So only Ted Allen and Tony Charles, Gorgeous George Jr. and myself would be on their first Southeastern card. Uh, next week when they booked their first card, there's just four of us left that have anything to do with the old Southeastern that were going to be on that card. Jimmy Golden, Norvell Austin, the Mongolian Stomper that was on this one, they were all headed to Pensacola. Redbeard, Doug Gilbert, was wrestling his last match for Southeastern. Uh, he didn't really have, he, I'm sure he had a place to go because we gave him plenty of notice ahead of time, but uh, I don't know where he went. Hmm. All right, before we get to who was on the TV show for the upcoming card, we really haven't talked about the, the commentator, the crew, which is extremely important for Barnett's Southeastern TV show. Was he hanging on to Les and Phil? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, wisely, yeah. Jim chose to keep, obviously, Les and Phil as the yeah. commentator and the announcer for the show. Uh, obviously, in this situation, your transition and fewer things that change for the fans during the turnover and, and ownership, the better for the territory. You know, it, it, it made the whole thing smoother. You didn't lose fans, uh, hopefully very few. Les and Phil had been with the Southeastern TV show from day one. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, pretty yeah. yeah. Uh, they, were, uh, they were the show. They, you couldn't watch that show without seeing those guys and yeah. thinking about those guys. Yeah. So Barnett was smart about things like that, you know, and last week I talked about our first meeting with the TV station management where Jim, uh, for the first time found out that we had an 80 share in the Arbitron and the Nielsen rating books, you know, and, uh, and that meant obviously that eight out of every 10 homes that were watching TV while that wrestling was on was watching us. So, uh, while well, seeing his face light up, uh, when he heard that, I knew right then that he wasn't going to change anything that had to do with the TV, obviously. You couldn't get much better than that 80 share. So since we were already on the subject of the changes, the first person I told when the sale was made was my great friend, Mark. And uh, he was the man responsible for my being able to start Southeastern Wrestling. Mm -hmm. He'd been a critical part of the success of the company, worked his butt off. Uh, he was reliable, never missed a night never missed a town uh, and he like me had fallen in love with Tennessee and, uh, and he didn't want to, uh, ever leave. So, you know, I asked him if he wanted to go South and, uh, you know, he said, no, Ron, I, I really love it here. I'd like to stay. So, uh, I promised him at, uh, at this point, you know, that I would get Barnett to pay him exactly as I had paid him. And, uh, then, uh, I talked to Jim about it, and he had no problem with it at all. In fact, he said, Ron, as long as I own Southeast, Mac's going to have the same job and the same pay and uh, you know, uh, that he had for all the years that you'd been there with him. 
And Ron, really, that's a pretty wise move on his part. Again, of course, he's been there, done that before, because you countered on Mac in so many ways. I met him a couple of times at a couple of the reunions only a few years back, prior, obviously prior to his passing. But And I've heard so many great stories, great things about him from so many people. You and I even recorded the, the uh, I think it was a short ride that called that was called the man who saved southeastern and it was all about mac and and a really interesting story that you can find on your youtube channel so he must have had literally hundreds of friends and it was really cool of you to set him up before you left because you counted on him and depended on him and he was as solid as a rock all right so let's get to the tv to promote this last event who was on that set that up for us Okay, I opened up the TV with Les at the set, and we watched this the special challenger no DQ match from the night before between me and Jimmy Golden. And it was just one week after Jimmy had sent my brother Robert out of Southeastern in a loser leave match. Uh, obviously, and Jimmy had a little help from his good buddy, Norvell Austin. And in the video we watched, Norvell ended up at ringside again, as he had done the week before against my brother where he was responsible for, you know, Golden's win and sending Rob uh, out of Southeastern, out of Knoxville. And this time, though it didn't work out nearly as well for him, he tried the same thing, basically, came down, got involved, uh, that he had hit Rob uh, and helped Jimmy win it. But this time, instead of hitting Rob uh, and instead of hitting me, I ducked and he hit Jimmy with with what he had used on Rob and uh, – <laughs> Then I sent him over the top rope and onto the concrete, and uh, and, I, and then I started to put the fuller leg lock on Jimmy because it was a a uh, one of those I quit matches, and and uh, he kind of got up days, but uh, boy, as soon as I went behind him and I started for that grapevine, he fought like a maniac. He knew it was coming, man, and uh, so the referee pulled me off of him. He got to the ropes, fought his way to the ropes, and the referee pulled me off, and uh, Jimmy just rolled out on the floor. And went to the dressing room, you know. So I won by a count out, and uh, Golden, uh, you know, uh, refused to, to come back to the ring. So mm -hmm. Les and I, we would watch that, and then we covered the fact that now we're going to be coming back against each other for one last chance uh, to end the family feud, basically. And uh, so this time, the match was truly unique. It, you know, a, a submission and I quit match was already a unique type of match, but not only the, this one was going to be an I quit match, but uh, it was also going to be the loser uh, had to get over, humiliate himself on the microphone and say, I give up. And, uh, but, and then he had to leave Tennessee as well. Wow. So I don't think I've ever heard of a submission I quit match. That was also a loser leave match. So it sounds like a perfect way to end a feud. The loser gets both humiliated and has to leave. So who was in the first TV match? Golden. Uh, you know, the man Les and I just watched and talked about in the video. And uh, Les, you know, invited me to stay at the set. I'm already sitting there anyway. And, uh, and to maybe make some comments about the match and, and when Jimmy went to the ring for this TV match, so did Norvell go with him, uh, just like he was his manager. So that was kind of unexpected. So uh, Golan was, you know, obviously uh, upset about this upcoming match. And, uh, you know, you could tell I watched, uh, and so was Les. I mean, Jimmy was, he just tore into the guy that he was wrestling. And he was extremely violent. And, you know, Les was like, wow, Ron. What is he doing, you know? And uh, and uh, during this time of the match, he kept pointing at me. I'm sitting there with Les and commentating over it and screaming for me to come on. Come and get in the ring. Just come <laughs> on, let's start this right now. <laughs> so he basically ended the match. Uh, and because this was going to be an I quit match, he made a point of uh, he putting a, a very painful hold on a, bo a Boston Crab, one of the most painful holds that you can do in wrestling. And, uh, and then, uh, obviously, uh, he had a young guy that he was wrestling, and he, that guy, he, he started, he gave up right away. But uh, Jimmy wouldn't turn him loose. 
And then Norvell jumped up in the ring to keep the referee from getting Jimmy off of him and kind of pulled the referee off out of the way. And so Golden just kept cranking on it. And uh, so the studio audience, they were screaming for help. And so was the young wrestler. I mean, you could hear him, I guess, down the street. And the referee couldn't couldn't pull, you know, he couldn't pull Jimmy off. So, you know, I can't sit there and watch that. So I went to the ring and uh, Norvell tried to stop me from going into the ring and getting Jimmy off of the kid. Hmm. And uh, so uh, I fought my way into the ring and I grabbed Norvell and I threw him over the top rope. And uh, and Golden's still cranking on the on the, the uh, Boston Crab. And uh, so uh, as soon as he saw me coming for him, though, he, he turned loose. He scooted out of the ring. And uh, and he and Norvell went by the set on the way to the dressing room, and uh, I was kind of helping the young boy that would that was hurt. He was really in bad shape, and uh, Golden, you know, screamed, uh, you know, at me that I wasn't the only wrestler that had a great submission hold. He said, you uh, know, and, uh, and he says, uh, he says, I'm going to give you some Boston Crab next Friday night, Ron. <laughs> and uh, and then he said also, he says, my new manager Norvell Lawson. He's going to be at ringside to back me up. And he said, maybe even to help me. Right? <laughs> okay. So that, that's not the, an inviting situation. So I've always wondered what it felt like in that hole. The Boston Crab was, was the young wrestler hurt bad. Oh, geez, man. You know, uh, he had to be carried from the ring on a stretcher. I'd say that was pretty bad. He could not get up. Uh, wow, and I bet he was—I bet he was sore for weeks. Yeah, so I, I, I do <laughs> it was, remember. It was a tough hold. Yeah, I do remember my brother attempting to put that on me a couple of times, but it never seemed to work out. Uh, I know it, that it hurt. All right, that's a pretty cool way to open the TV show. So, how about what's in the next match? Well, I had asked Jim Barnett a couple of days before this TV show, uh, kind of who he wanted me to push for him. Uh, because this is my last TV show, and uh, you know, and I have to be considered of they're they're going to want to get started good with a with a nice crowd and the whole deal. And he told me the names uh, of who he wanted, and and I told him to send me those guys on Saturday, and uh, that was who I, I would finish out the TV show with. And uh, so uh, the second match, you know, and we'll get to those guys uh, in just a minute. Uh, the second match. Uh, was David Schultz and Dennis Condry. That was two of those guys, right? Mm-hmm, I mean, uh, mm-hmm. they were in his crew, in the Georgia crew. And uh, so the rest of the program is going to be Georgia guys, basically. And they were one of Barnett's top two tag teams down in the Georgia area. And they looked great as a team. Uh, they, they were a super team. And and even better than I expected, man. And, and they, obviously, they got themselves a convention win on TV. And then we had the personality profile, and it was with the new Southeastern tag champions, Paul Orndorff and Dick Slater, two more of the Georgia guys now. And they had won the belts from Jimmy Golden and Norville Austin in Johnson City, Tennessee, on the preceding uh, Tuesday night, four days before the TV show was recorded. So uh, Slater and Orndorff brought their belts, and uh, they watched their win uh, over uh, Austin and, uh, and Golden. And then... Uh, you know, uh, fans love the, these two young guys, man, Slater and Orndorff, and they seemed to be extremely pleased, man, with their new champions. They were really into it, the studio crowd. And uh, their opponents for the next Friday night uh, were going to be Ox Baker, uh, who had made a strong impression on the Tennessee fans, mm. and uh, Jim Barnett as well, obviously. Jim picked him. and uh, But I could never figure out why Jim had picked the angel, Frank Morrell. Right. the Ox Baker's partner. You mentioned that last week. What's up with that? Yeah, you know, and it, 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 it was way over my head like, to figure that out, you know. And uh, so, uh, uh, you know, and uh, Frank Morrell, I always had a little uh, little uh, hard feelings toward Frank Morrell because he's the guy that dropped me on my head about four years earlier Ooh. and broke my collarbone Wow! Uh, in a match on television. And, yeah. Uh, Wow. He was never a great wrestler that I thought. Uh, but anyway, Jim Barnett, for some reason, kind of liked him. Uh, so the last TV match, uh, no, uh, those two guys were on TV, obviously. And uh, 
So they were in the next match. Here comes Ox Baker and uh, Frank Morrell. So there's another two Georgia guys that are on the on that same TV show. Hmm. And then the last TV match was the new champions, Dick Slater and Paul Orndorff. And they had a great tag match. They were against Wayne Rogers and Redbeard, who were two of the guys that I'd had. Uh, they were both uh, in their last Southeastern match. They weren't going to be in any matches for Southeastern after that. Mm-hmm. Either one of them, actually. And uh, so the champions ended up uh, – and in both of those guys. Cool. All right. Pretty good TV show right there, Ron. But they, they, but but not like they had been for the last few weeks. It seems it, maybe something a little bit lacking. Well, it wasn't going to be, Dave. Uh, you know, because the territory, like I said, was in transition. We were going from one owner to another. Half the crew was uh, new talent that the Tennessee fans had uh, hardly ever seen. Uh, a lot of them had, they had never seen. You know, and they were going to get another wrestler the following week that had never been seen in Knoxville territory, too. Besides Sterling Golden, they were going to get the first look at the very popular Georgia star, Tony Atlas. Hmm. Uh, yeah. And I remember when he I think I remember when he debuted on Georgia wrestling, they obviously had some great wrestlers. So what happened the next Friday night on your last Tennessee show? Well, Gordon George Jr. beat Ted Allen, uh, Jerry Roberts, who was a Georgia, a Georgia star. Uh, he got the best in Norvell Austin. Uh, Mongolian Stomper won his match, uh, his last match in Knoxville against Redbeard, uh, Doug Gilbert. Uh, Stomper's uh, run as a babyface was over, man. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it was a long time before he's ever going to have another one of those. And uh, he was soon headed down to the Gulf Coast. And he was going down there with his son. They were going to become a tag team uh, called the Mongolians. And they were going to be managed down there by an Egyptian-looking character uh, called Mephista. And uh, Tony Mm. Charles uh, lost the tag match uh, with his partner, uh, Pierre Lefevre. He actually got beat by David Schultz and Dennis Condry. And I beat Jimmy Golden in the I Quit Loser Leaves match. Uh, it was the last match in Tennessee for Jimmy Golden and for Norvell Austin for a long time, man. And uh, they were both obviously uh, headed to Pensacola. Dick Slater and uh, Paul Orndorff won the Southeastern Tag Championship match by disqualification over Ox Baker and the Angel Frank Morrell. Wow. All right. How about attendance? How did How did it go? Well, it dropped dramatically because there was, you know, so many new faces on the card uh, with the Georgia guys, you know, and half the card was the Georgia guys. And uh, they'd not had very much exposure there yet. Uh, but I anticipated it. I'm sure Doug Barnett anticipated it. The house was going to drop from about 3,200 the week before it went down to 2,500. At 2,500, uh, Dave, I got to sitting and looking back. That was the smallest crowd in the Coliseum since 1975. Oh, wow. Four years. Yeah. So it wasn't a great end to a fantastic run. So, uh, you know, we would not be back in that building or any building in Knoxville for six years after this match. Wow. Uh, And when we return, uh, we're not going to return as even Southeastern Wrestling. We're going to return as a brand new company called Continental Championship Wrestling. But we're also going to return to a sellout in the Coliseum wow. and turn away thousands of fans hmm. that couldn't fit in the building. That is in and of itself a remarkable story, Stud. Coming back six years later in 1985 after Eastern Tennessee had no wrestling at all for two years and you sell out the Coliseum. That is legendary. All right, it's a great first half of this Studcast. When we return after the break... We're going to be 500 miles south in Pensacola, Florida, and the new home of the one and only Southeastern Wrestling Territory, headed to Pensacola when we come back. Okay, Studcast fans, sometimes things just don't work out like we hope they will, and uh, last week, Stud, we had made a promise that the Ask the Stud number 10 on your YouTube channel would be ready to go Saturday and 
you got it out there, but it was not on Saturday. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, Dave, it's it's uh, uh, sometimes things don't work out as they as you predict, and uh, we had the guy that records it for me that was sick, and so it it came out a couple of days later, but it's out there now. Uh, it's uh, it's an exclusive product. The only place you can find it is on YouTube, Southeastern Rewind. Uh, it's a really good one. Wow, really, it's amazing. Maybe the best one of, of all of them so far. So maybe worth waiting on is what I say about it. And, uh, you know, I just apologize that I couldn't get it up on the exact day that we wanted to. We were a couple of days late. But uh, I think it's uh, actually it's already broken a record. Uh, it did in the first day. Wow. So that it went up. So, so uh, I think fans have found it and they know it's up there. But I just wanted to apologize about it. Hey, you don't owe us an apology because you keep knocking down quality material on your YouTube Southeastern Rewind channel. Everybody knows YouTube. Once you get there in the search bar, put in Southeastern Rewind, boom, it is loaded with Tennessee stud. I mean, everything that's happened and, and a lot of stuff that we've talked about over the years on this studcast. You got to check it out. Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. Okay, let's get right back to it. The second half of this stud cast, number 322, number 322, last Tennessee event for six years is what it's called. All right, but this time we're headed, this half, we're headed to change the focus on the Mobile, Alabama, and the card for October 30th, 1979, the night before Halloween. But first, a question about why you changed your normal Wednesday night to a Tuesday night, and what did what if anything did it have to do with Halloween? Well, that's yeah, a great question, Dave. I mean, uh, you know, some holidays are perfect for wrestling. I mean, uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas Day, New Year's Day are mm-hmm. examples of that. You yeah. know, and they're family days. You know, it's the, it's time when families get together and when they uh, they have dinner early or whatever they're going to do, and then a lot of times they want to go somewhere and celebrate together. Uh, now, holiday, you know, Halloween is not a good day for for a nighttime event, mm. obviously, <laughs> because kids <laughs> want to dress up, and uh, you know, their their parents have got to take them that to around to do their, uh, you know, to, to to fill their baskets with with candy, and uh, you know, have the uh, have the holiday. That's and true. if they're not taking their kids, yeah. uh, then they're staying home to answer the door and uh, be able to uh, give the kids uh, some present for being there. Yeah. So, you know, uh, so it kind of keeps the, that, that night kind of keeps the family at home, you know, rather than the other holidays, uh, sending them out basically to, uh, to get out of the house and go do something else. <laughs> so, you know, and uh, you know, so it, uh, it's just not a good event or a good night to be, uh, be running a wrestling show. And I had learned that early on in my first couple of years in which I tried to run on Halloween. And I finally mm. figured out, man, this is not the night. So we moved no mills Wednesday night to a Tuesday. Okay. So, I, I mean, but all kids, all kids want to trick or treat. And if mom and dad are at home, you know that doorbell is going to be ringing all night. So they got to cover that. So, But I really haven't thought about it that way when you're trying to put an event in a, a civic center coliseum or that kind of deal. And pardon my pun, if you don't mind, but you don't miss a trick or a treat. Do you Ron? <laughs> all right. So, all right. So who was on that day, the day before Halloween on that card in mobile? Well, it's a nice pun, Dave. <laughs> you know, it's a little fun <laughs> pun, Dave. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, so let's talk about that card. Uh, before we do though, I'd like to, to, to get to get a point across uh, of a couple of things, the Gulf Coast Territory was dealing with the same thing basically as the Tennessee Territory. Uh, they were suffering through at this point uh, lots of change in talent, uh, but the big difference between the two territories was the war in Tennessee. It uh, it it affected everything uh, much more than the change in talent. Uh, so as far as the big changes in talent. It was going to benefit the Gulf Coast Territory more than the Tennessee Territory uh, because basically 
a lot of the wrestlers that were going to be going to Pensacola had already been to Pensacola. And so they, they're not strangers to the fans, uh, you know, but in Jim Barnett's case up there in the Tennessee territory, all his new wrestlers are not known to the fans up there. So uh, it was a real benefit to, uh, to be able to have had that second territory and been able to switch some of these wrestlers back and forth already. So let's talk about this Mobile, Alabama card. Mm-hmm. The night before Halloween, 1979, opening match was Roy Lee Welch, who was doing a lot of wrestling at this point, against newcomer Tom Shaft. Uh, then the wrestling pro, Leon Baxter, was facing another newcomer on this card, a guy named Troy Graham. Uh, then the third match was uh, two superstars, man, in a challenge match, Bob Armstrong. Uh, and it's, it's only his second week back was facing the first arrival uh, from the sale of Knoxville, the first guy that went there after uh, we made the sale. Uh, he's going to be wrestling toward Tanaka. Wow, they'd never seen Tanaka down there. So hmm. this hmm. man was going to make quite an impression. But, and he made an impression just by walking to the ring, man. <laughs> and he was going to go down there and rock the Gulf Coast. Yeah. Then the next match was for the Southeastern Championship. Kevin Sullivan was defending against Eddie Mansfield. Then the main event was for the Southeastern Championship. It was a return match. Uh, there was new champions down there. Robert Fuller and Jerry Stubbs had won the belts there in Mobile the week before. And a best two out of three fall match. They were defending the, in this return match against the former champions, the Assassins. Wow. All right. So that's a really good card. The fans were going to get introduced to one of the best in the world in Tora Tanaka. Tanaka, no doubt about it. He was definitely a big boost to the quality of any wrestling card or wrestling crew. So how about the TV that set all of this up and promoted this card? Well, you're right about Tanaka, man. I mean, everywhere he went, this guy turned heads, as you can imagine. And it wasn't just in a wrestling arena. I mean, wherever he went, down the street to a restaurant, uh, no, it, uh, he just was physically, he was one of the most impressive men uh, on the earth, man. And, and even if you didn't know he was a wrestler, you had to be going, wow, who is this guy? So uh, so <laughs> I was not on this TV again, because at this point I'm still up there in Knoxville. And uh, But, uh, you know, Rob kept me posted on what happened later after these TVs. So did Charlie Platt. And so uh, this TV opened with Robert Fuller and Jerry Stubbs, the new Southeastern Tag Champions. They had their belts with them. They had won from the Assassins four days earlier in Mobile. They watched the video, uh, a video that Wayne Register, uh, you're probably familiar with that name, director at WTVY down there in Hilton, Alabama. Oh, yeah. He did every one of those southeastern Gulf Coast TV shows uh, <laughs> as long as we were there, man. And uh, so uh, he edited, uh, edited this match from Mobile. It was a two out of three fall championship match that they had won the belts in. And so uh, he took that match and cut it down to three quick falls. Boy, there was magic in that, too, uh, when you had the great editors. So in the first fall of this two out of three match was won by Jerry Stubbs. The second fall, the Assassins won. And the final fall, Rob won the match, and he won it with the fuller leg lock, won the championship with the fuller leg lock. Then the new champions, uh, you know, they were given the four former champions a return match for the belts. That's the way it always worked. If you won a title, you right away gave a guy a chance to win it back. So they were given the two guys an opportunity to win the tag belts back. And they discussed that fact uh, that the, about the upcoming match, uh, that it was not going to be a two out of three fall match. Uh, for the return match, it was going to be a one-fall match. And uh, Robert and Stubbs uh, felt very confident, man, since they had won the belts. It was just their second try at the Assassins that they won the belts on. So they felt pretty comfortable about it. Uh, The champions stayed with Charlie at the set because their opponents for this upcoming championship match, which were the Assassins, was wrestling on the first TV match. And there had been uh, many combinations of this uh, original assassin team 
there, and it wasn't just in our territory. There were a lot of territories that copied the, the original assassin team. My yeah. assassins, Rodney, Roger Smith and Randy Colley, mm-hmm. uh, two of them, in my opinion, was, was maybe the best ever. Uh, obviously, short of the real thing, Jody Hamilton and Tom Ernesto, who were the original assassins, there were no better combination than them, obviously. But uh, Smith and Collie, uh, both those guys were about 300 pounds, and they could move around the ring, man, like they weighed half that. I used to call Roger Smith the dancing bear. He was as big as a bear and could dance around the ring, and he was pretty amazing. So uh, Charlie told me uh, you could see the masked men when they went to the ring and Rob and, and Stubbs are sitting over there at the desk, they were unhappy about it. You know, they were unhappy. Obviously they lost their belts four days earlier, but uh, that kind of was magnified because they're now sitting the new champions talking about them that are wrestling in the ring up there. It should be the other way around. I'm sure they were thinking. <laughs> so they kept punishing their opponents, man. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Charlie told me that, you know, they just, Wow, he said, wow, they were just, he said, you know, they were always killers, but he said they were more, bigger killers than ever. And he says, while they were punishing their opponents, they kept pointing at Rob and Stubbs and, and asking them to come in the ring. Kind of like that happened to me on the TV in Knoxville same day. Hmm. So the result of this match was uh, both of their TV opponents were left laying, man. They just, uh, Charlie says, wow, Ronda. Darn, they killed those guys. And then he said, uh, mm. basically, you know, basically what they did is they made a statement without saying a word, without opening their mouth. Man. Wow. And the next wrestler, uh, you know, was being seen for the very first time. And he was going to shake up not just that studio crowd that day, but I'm sure the home audience as well. You know, and it was his first Southeastern Gulf Coast appearance ever. Mm. Uh, Rob told me later uh, when Tor Tanaka came out of the dressing room and headed to the ring, he said the studio audience went totally silent. He said <laughs> they were all, you know, talking and then and conversing with each other and getting ready for the next match. And he said they just went silent, like, and you know, and and then that that said it all, man. Uh, <laughs> you know, they he Rob said they were looking at each other and kind of whispering. You were right earlier when you talked about seeing him. And if you passed him in an airport, you would be like, oh, my God, who is this guy? You're exactly yeah. right, though. That was yeah. just his that was his stature. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, so and to me, to me and to Rob, it was the first sign that this guy is really going to get over. <laughs> I mean, you know, and with stars like Tanaka, it was very important to Tanaka to get over as quickly as possible. Wow. And uh, and the thing was that these great stars, these old timers, they knew how to get over too. Yep. So Rob said, he said, Ronnie goes, he goes in less than two minutes. He said Tanaka judo chopped and suplexed this guy that he was. He said so violently that he knocked him unconscious. He knocked him out, you know. And he so and, and he said uh, they had to carry. We had to carry the guy out of the ring. You know, he he was still unconscious. Couldn't they hardly get him conscious in the dressing room. I thought we might have killed him. You know, it's a, wow, mm. it was unbelievable. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it, that's a great impression. They talk about making it for great first impression. Wow. I always thought when I would see Tanaka, I always thought this dude is the Mac daddy of the ring. He was one of the scariest wrestlers I'd ever seen. He, he looked indestructible. I can't imagine running into him in a dark alley. So anyway, he, he certainly earned his check. All right. How about the personality profile? Set that up for us. Well, the Southeastern champion, Kevin Sullivan had his first opportunity, man, to do a profile. He'd only been there about a month or a little bit more, uh, so the boy from Boston, I like to call him, man, uh, the, the Gulf Coast fans had fallen in love with Kevin Sullivan. So Rob said, uh, Charlie handled this profile exactly like these profiles were designed to be done. We kind of got away from the format a lot. But uh, Charlie, Rob said, Charlie asked him all kinds of questions about himself and his family and how and when he, he became a professional wrestler. And uh, Rob said, Kevin, uh, you know, he had the studio crowd in, in the palm of his hand, you know, and, uh, and he had this outgoing personality, Kevin did anyway. 
and it made him, uh, you know, he just really, he, I'm sure he got into this profile, Kevin, by the way that the, he was being responded to by those people in the studio at that time. And, uh, you know, he had that outgoing personality. Uh, he just made himself a bigger star. So Rob said the profile was kind of like a party was going on, you know, and Kevin had the studio crowd cracking up, you know, uh, until Tanaka came out of the dressing room, across the studio, the, the dressing room is across the studio, <laughs> from the profile set on the far side of the ring. Mm -hmm. Tanaka came out carrying a chair, and he walked over to the corner of the ring within about 20 feet of the profile set and sat down in that chair, Rob said. He said he didn't say a single word. He just sat there staring a hole through Kevin Sullivan. Uh -huh. And uh, he said the profile ended Pretty shortly after that, he said, mm. Charlie, Charlie didn't know what to say, and I'm sure Kevin didn't know what to say. And uh, so the party was over, basically, I guess, something like that. Yeah, I could certainly see where that would shut the party down pretty fast. All right, I'm sure there was a reason for this, but as always, I'm almost afraid to ask, but I'll, I'll do it anyway. What was going on with, with Tanaka and Kevin Sullivan? Well, right. So, uh, so Rob and I had talked a whole lot, man, about the sale of Knoxville and how important it was for us, meaning the five owners of the Gulf Coast territory down there, to push the envelope at this point and to, to take every opportunity to utilize the tremendous talent that was going to be on their way there as a result of the sale of Knoxville. A lot of guys are going to just flood into that territory. Great talent. And uh, so during the years uh, in Knoxville, we had created, man, this real, real history, a, a video library of matches and angles mm -hmm. that could now be used to get like, guys like Tanaka over faster than ever. <laughs> uh, you know, and by, by quickly involving uh, Tanaka uh, with a Pensacola wrestler that was already over, you know. So uh, this incident... You know, uh, uh, you just asked about Dave was the first use of that idea, basically. And the beautiful thing about the way we had kept the two southeastern territories separate and unknown to fans mm -hmm. uh, was now going to benefit us greatly. You know, uh, the, the fans in Tennessee had no idea there was a southeastern wrestling on the Gulf Coast and vice versa. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so uh, so now we're going to be able to use those Knoxville videos to create instant angles that led to instant money, man. And, and half the time as, as we ordinarily would have to as a booker. So no one, you know, that was sitting this in this example, nobody that was sitting in that Dothan studio or sitting at home watching that TV had any idea that Kevin Sullivan and Tora Tanaka even knew each other much less had recently wrestled against each mm -hmm. other 500 mm -hmm. miles away. Yeah. So this was just the beginning of the use of this idea. Uh, next week on the TV, Tanaka will have already cost seven, Kevin Sullivan his Southeastern title. And fans are not only going to see the reason that uh, Tanaka gets involved uh, and into, you know, and interrupted uh, Sullivan's profile on this TV show, mm -hmm. but they're also going to get to see why Tanaka came there and the match that brought him there. Wow. Okay. So that's pretty, I think that's a really cool idea, Stud. I've really never heard of anything like that. So, I mean, it kind of takes booking to the next level and it's really, it's what you've been doing all along. It's all about thinking ahead thinking about down the road and how you can use this thing later and people forget about it in the meantime that's that's brilliant dude it's kind of like out of the box yes uh, <laughs> yes exactly it was an out of the box idea man that, yeah. that nobody else had ever done yeah so and it was only the beginning of this within the next three weeks let's take an example jimmy golden and norville austin are going to return they're going back down to the gulf coast and uh, 11 months earlier, they were baby faces down there and wrestling partners with Rob, right? Uh, so the mm -hmm. last time the Southeastern people remember them, they were baby faces. <laughs> and uh, so when they show up this time, Golden and Austin, 
that they they're going to turn the territory upside down, mm. you know, um, because uh, they we're going to have several videos from Knoxville, and they they're going to be able to fans not just just tell them about it, they're going to show these matches uh, where Rob and Jimmy got their heads shaved, and uh, yeah. you know, and this and this hatred that had developed between the two of them. So the two hair versus hair matches uh, to begin with is going to be just the start of uh, of creating quickly instead of it taking a month, six weeks mm-hmm. to make an angle work. It works overnight. So this idea was going to give us the opportunity to jumpstart our future in the, in the Southeastern territory down there. Oh, absolutely. I had no idea we were going to, we were going to get into anything like this on today's show, but this has really been some of the best booking ideas ever. Let's go back to where we got into this discussion uh, initially, the end of the personality profile, and who was in the third match on the TV? Well, the wrestler man that was getting a, getting a second Southeastern title shot at the champion, Kevin Sullivan, uh, who had just uh, obviously finished that profile, Eddie Mansfield. And uh, he went to the set with Charlie, and he watched the, the last three minutes of his 30-minute time limit draw match with Kevin Sullivan. He had already had a chance at Kevin, but it was a 30-minute time limit match, and it ended up in a draw. Uh, Now he was going to get a 60-minute time limit match, uh, and it would be coming the following week. So Mansfield uh, was always a – I I like to put it full of himself. I mean, Eddie Eddie thought he was a bigger star than he was, right? (laughs) And he took that attitude into the ring with him, man, uh, on this third match. Uh, that's what I was told by Charlie. And, you know, and it was a rare match for him. He didn't get a lot of chances to get a win on TV. And uh, Charlie said, wow, Ron, he took advantage of it. He won quite convincingly. That's the way Charlie put it. Quite convincingly it was. He won. So uh, then it was time, basically, last match uh, for the star. And, uh Studio crowd obviously went nuts when Bob Armstrong appeared from out of the dressing room, hmm. went to the set with Charlie, and Charlie asked the director to play the loser leaves match between Bob and Ox Baker that had happened the week before, in which Bob won, obviously. Mm-hmm. And Charlie said the studio crowd was so into Bob's win, man, that they he said when they were showing the audio, the the video, he you know, they had the, the monitors so that the people in the bleachers could see it. He said when Bob covered Ox Baker, he said the people in the studio actually did the three count out <laughs> out in unison. Yeah, wow, yeah. You know? So so Bob was like uh, you know, he, he was a he was a facing of he was going basically from bad, which was Ox Baker, hmm. to face to knocker the next week. So he's going to from from bad to from to fearless man, <laughs> yeah. for sure, yeah. no doubt about that. So Rob said, uh, Bob went to the ring and he did what he always did, man. Set that studio on fire, and, and then uh, him him and Tanaka were going to tear the house down, and uh, and all three of those major markets are coming week. That's so cool. And uh, you, as you mentioned, the the crowd in the studio, the TV studio, counting it down. You know they were counting at home, too. One, two, three, getting into those uh, matches. That's so cool because, uh, well, I, w- I was doing it as a kid. I'm sure, surely not alone in that. All right, so a really good TV show, no doubt. What happened the next week in Mobile where we were talking about earlier, the night before Halloween? Roy Lee Welch got a win over Tom Shaft. Uh, the wrestling pro, Leon Baxter, still in the height of his glory, man, uh, beat uh, Tony, Troy Graham. And uh, and I was going to mention earlier, uh, Troy Graham is no relation to the Florida Grahams. He's not related to Eddie or Mike Graham, for sure. Uh, Rob said that uh, Bob Armstrong and Tor Tanaka uh, stole the show in Mobile, and I was not uh, surprised to hear that. And he said they had everybody in Expo Hall on their feet and uh, – both of them got disqualified in that match. And then in the one-hour time limit Southeastern Championship match between the champion, Kevin Sullivan and Eddie Mansfield, Rob said Sullivan was really getting himself over at this point, man. Crowds were really into him. And he said toward the end of that match, Kevin had Mansfield totally blown up. 
you know, Eddie wanted past 30 minute match where well, he got it. And, uh, you know, Kevin was in a lot better shape than Mansfield was. And, uh, he said that Kevin was about to finish Mansfield off. And, uh, and he said that Mansfield kind of grabbed a headlock on Sullivan out of, out of desperation to slow him down. And he said, Kevin went to shoot him into the ropes and the referee was crossing the ring and he, he slammed into the referee. So Mansfield and the referee went down. And uh, Rob said Kevin was just standing in the middle of the ring looking down at both of them. And, uh, and here came uh, poor Tanaka, slid in the ring behind Kevin. Uh, Kevin never saw him coming. Uh, he just grabbed Kevin by the shoulders. He spun him around. And Rob said he hit him in the throat with a karate chop. Right, a thrust, Rob said. It wasn't a chop, Brian. It was more like a thrust. One of those finger deals, the fingers first. Rob said it looked like they took the top of Kevin's head off, man. <laughs> and then the monster, he said, the big monster just uh, rolled out of the ring and went back to the dressing room. And uh, so the crowd was stunned. Rob said, the did this went silent like, who is that guy? You know, I mean, uh, well, can't believe it. And if they'd watched the TV, they, they saw him staring at Sullivan uh, mm-hmm. in the profile. But so, uh, so Rob said Mansfield couldn't get up, but he crawled over and he covered Kevin and the referee crawled over there and counted him out. And, uh, Rob said the building exploded in booze and naturally. Wow. And he said, Mansfield, he said, Eddie Mansfield could hardly even get up to take <laughs> belt when he got it handed to him by the rep <laughs> and, uh, and then he said he left the ring and uh and then rob said uh, uh kevin wasn't getting up and he said bob armstrong went down the ring and had to help kevin back to the dressing room wow that kind of had to be a little bit of a shocker for the fans so who won the southeastern tag team match uh rob and stubbs uh but uh, when the match was over the assassins got a chair man uh, as uh, before they could get out of the ring, one of them slid out. Uh, he grabbed a chair. He went back in the ring, and uh, he hit both of them, both of them with the chair. Uh, then they had they were about to get their get their belts and leave the ring. Then they stole their belts and they took them. They took their belts to the dressing room with them. So then Bob and the wrestling pro and Roy Lee Welch, uh, the, uh, three or four, had to go down there and help those two guys back to the dressing. room. All right, the last two matches really sounded like they ended with some mad fans and that Tora Tanaka personality profile visit on the TV show we just talked about was starting to make starting to make more sense, I guess you would say. All right, so how about the attendance in the three major cities? How'd you do on those? Well, we held up pretty well, man, considering this this was the end of October. That was a very, very hard time of year. Montgomery had uh, 3,500 uh, the week before, it only lost 200 fans, went down to 33. Mobile had close to 5,49 uh, They lost only 300 fans of that. And Dothan had 4,300, and they only lost 400. So uh, this territory was definitely doing great houses like this uh, in cities that were far less than half the size of other territory cities. I mean, uh, wow. Dothan, Alabama, think about it, 4,300 people, right? So, like, you know, Miami wasn't doing that that time of year, you know? So uh, it was pretty amazing what was happening. Wow. Okay. So if I remember correctly, I think you said you wanted to tell us about another situation happening in the Gulf Coast that was eerily familiar to what happened in the Knoxville War, maybe. So I, I think we got time for that. you want to do that? Yeah, yeah, okay. So, uh, so on this is crazy, Dave. Uh, on Thursday, October 17, 1979, 13 days before this mobile uh, matches that we just talked about, uh, another wrestling company calling itself Tri State Wrestling, uh, run by a promoter named Doyle Wiggins, uh, who I knew nothing about. I never heard of his name, still don't know who he is, really. Uh, they ran their first of three wrestling shows in Florida in our territory. Uh, they ran on a Thursday night in Crestview, on a Friday night in Defuniag Springs, and a Saturday night in Pensacola, Florida, before we ran in Pensacola on a Sunday night. 
All three of those shows they had were in a National Guard armory. All right, you got to be kidding, Ron. Here we here you go again, maybe. You just got rid of a wrestling war in Tennessee, and now you've got one in Florida? <laughs> kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it, man? Indeed. Uh, so, so, but I wasn't so worried about it. Uh, but seeing the names of the wrestlers uh, who were participating in, this, in these cards, uh, that kind of bothered me, you know, uh, uh, Alpha and Sika the Samoan team that had been the Southeastern tag champions. They were on this mm-hmm, card. Mm-hmm. Uh, Don Fargo was on this card. Rip Tyler was on this card. Greg Peterson was on this card. The Inferno, Terry Latham, Lord Raven, Ken Dillinger. And the last name I saw on the card, the one that really disappointed me the most, Don Carson was on the card. Wow. Okay. A lot of those guys had wrestled for you since you started Southeastern Gulf Coast. So w- what was going on with all that? Well, most of these guys live somewhere on the Gulf Coast, man. Uh, you know, that was a very popular area down there. And the Fields brothers had been there for years after my dad had left. And a lot of wrestlers had just stayed there when they came. And, uh, and as you said, many had wrestled for me. You're right. Uh, you know, in in this in southeastern, and and the reason I think this got started is the fact that that obviously I was in a war in Tennessee, and uh, and also because I used some of these local guys when I could, uh, ones who I could and when I could, but uh, I didn't use them too often, and uh, maybe the others thought they should have been asked. You know, several of those names I never asked if uh, if they wanted to work for me. But there was a reason beyond that, even, that because uh, I was starting a new territory down there on the Gulf Coast in 1978. That territory was dead at that time. And it was probably dead because uh, a lot of these former, you know, because the former owners had used a lot of these guys that I just named for way too long. And that's one of the reasons the territory died. So I didn't want to go and use these names again. And uh, so so the irony of all this, I guess, is is if I had not sold, think about it, if I had not sold Knoxville, I would have been operating in two territories with competition in both of them at this point. So thank the good Lord, man, I <clears throat> sold the right one. Yeah, yeah. So in this studcast, you know, uh, I've started basically, Dave, to kind of lay – uh, the foundation, man, for the future of Southeastern down there on the Gulf Coast. I knew who was coming to wrestle for me in this territory. I knew that the territory's tremendous potential, and uh, and I had plans for the future, how I wanted to build it. I had no doubt, competition or not, somebody else running or not, whatever, that this territory was going to become one of the best in the world. Well, I definitely believe that. And I don't think we're going to have time for a learning tree again today because uh, you've had so much packed into this studcast. All right. But to me, this has really been special. You've taken us places today that we've never been. You may have lost one of your territories, but I think it was going to fire you up and make you even more successful down the line. All right. So where do we ride next week, stud? Well, we'll be returning to Knoxville uh, for the Georgia owner's first Southeastern event. Uh, there were only two of us uh, still on, the, on, the, on that card. Uh, so it had dwindled down every week. Now there's only two of us left, uh, and uh, that's me and uh, Tony Charles. And uh, we're going to talk about that card and who was on their card. And, uh, and I'm going to read an article from the Knoxville newspaper sports section that basically explained the sale and some of the history of my five-year run in Knoxville. The, the actual article that I have been sent, it was done on, uh, on uh, November 11th, and uh, it's, it's in the next week. It will be in coincides with next week's uh, studcast. So I'll spend most of the next studcast on the Pensacola Southeastern Territory. From this point on, every card there, from here on for weeks, is going to be It'll be bringing new stars in. And uh, we're going to be able in every stud cast to dive deeper into the development of the cards than we usually do, into the TV shows. And, uh, 
And that's going to greatly enhance the description of the results of the matches, obviously, and the growing attendances. Going to have more time to spend on Pensacola Diamond. And I also uh, definitely uh, can say, you know, we, we, we'll be sitting. Uh, I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a, a statement today that I, that I'm going to promise next week. Uh, and from here on, I definitely think we're going to be sitting under that learning tree a whole lot more. <laughs> All right. I think you were looking forward to your future right there in November of 1979. I could feel your enthusiasm growing today and an excitement in your voice as if you were looking forward to the future, to future Studcast, as a matter of fact. If that's the case, Studcast are about to do something I didn't think was possible. And that means get even better hey folks you know the deal find ron on facebook at ron fuller the tennessee stud like and follow him there automatically become friends with a living legend on twitter now known as x find him on twitter or x at ron fuller welch and follow him there too check out his fantastic website at tnstud.com tnstud.com this studcast is going to be there every studcast ever done is there shop the stud store where you get 43, yeah, 43 Super Stud Cast t-shirts, four different 8x10 photos of the stud, and the thrilling lion novel Brutus. You get yours personally autographed and get your copy. Get that in today. Get it early for Christmas. Subscribe now at YouTube Southeastern Rewind and get the best in old school wrestling. Find 353 videos. The last 99 stud cast. 52 stud stories, 77 short rides with the stud, and don't miss the new Ask the Stud number 10 question and answer show. It's available now exclusively on YouTube Southeastern Rewind, the best in old school wrestling anywhere. Any last comments, Ron? Yeah, man. Obviously, I'd like to thank everybody for listening, as always. And and uh, I just want everybody to let you know it means a lot to me to have such great support as I do from so many fans. And please take care of yourselves and others, and may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at David Summers Productions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud llc thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast the true story continues next week so full nelson your friends and point them in our direction for another ride with the tennessee stud this is david summers saying so long from the great smoky mountains